I'm Jess, and I'm a covenant partner and serve uh, here on the worship team and in the kids' um, ministry as well. Um, today's scriptures are found in 1 Timothy chapter 4, again, 7 and 8, and then we will move over to Mark chapter 10, verses 42 to 44, starting now in 1 Timothy. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And now we'll go over to Mark chapter 10, verses 42 to 44. And Jesus called to them, to him, I'm sorry. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would first be first among you must be slave of all. This is God's word. You may be seated. All right, well, who's, uh, who's heard of the Pony Express? Raise your hand. I'm sure most of us, right? We all know this is that, you know, the rider would get on in Sacramento or in St. Louis, and they would go back and forth. It's this 2,000-mile journey. Um, I don't know if you know this. The Pony Express was only in operation 19 months before the Telegraph finally went through, and they could do it in mere moments, what would take them 8 to 10 days to do. Um, I also don't know if you know how treacherous it was. It was a really, really difficult thing to be a rider for the Pony Express. You would ride uh, basically in 10 to 15 mile increments. There were 184 stations between here in St. Louis or Sacramento and St. Louis. And, and uh, so the riders would race their horses 10 to 15 miles, jump off, get a new horse and keep going. And they had to pack light. So they had their mail bags, but uh, pretty much almost nothing else. They, they could carry one pistol, one knife, they weren't allowed to wear even heavy coats. They wore just regular shirts. Um, and over the course of that 19 months, uh, six people uh, were either murdered or froze to death. Uh, this was not uh, an easy thing for a rider to do. They rode in snow and sleet and hail and in scorching heat. Didn't matter. They got to get the mail through. Now, let's suppose you're the recruiter for the Pony Express. How do you do that? How do you get people to say yes to making that ride? Bolivar Roberts is, is reported to have taken out an ad in a San Francisco newspaper back in the day, and this is what it said. Wanted, young, skinny, wiry fellows, not over 18, must be expert rider willing to risk death daily, orphans preferred. <laughs> wow, right? Like talk about just, I'm just gonna say it like it is. Uh, and here's the thing, apparently it worked, because the Pony Express never lacked for riders, never. They, uh, they had uh, more riders than they needed despite the perils of it. Now, why am I telling you this? Uh, because I think we, there's something about that sort of uh, clear-eyed honesty, just like, hey, here's the facts of what you need to know. Today, we're going to talk about the spiritual discipline of serving. And when we talk about it, I want to be really honest that when we talk about the kind of serving that Jesus Christ calls us to and what we are called to as believers and, 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 and people who say we follow Jesus Christ is not some casual pursuit. It is, if we're looking at Jesus and looking at Scripture, it's costly sacrifice, 
right? In fact, we could say that maybe if we took out a want ad, it would be based on Romans 12.1, and it might read something like this, wanted Christians willing to offer their entire lives as a living sacrifice uh, to God and view it as little more than their reasonable service to the God who saved them from eternal death. This is what God calls us to. Now, um, when you hear that, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when the Lord bids us come, he bids us come and die, right? We know that Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And I think when we hear things like, you know, living sacrifice and bids us come and die, and it sounds like this epic moment of sacrifice. I think most of us like to believe that we would be the ones that, you know, if, if some gunman was shooting at my family, I would dive in front of the bullet, I'd take a bullet, I'd go down in this glorious, you know, uh, death of a martyr. But, but the fact is, is that that's not, that's not the kind of service that we're most often called to. It's not so much a, a giving, it's not so much dying in this epic moment as um, death by degrees. The slow outpouring of your life over and over and over again. In other words, I think what the kind of sacrifice that most often we'll find ourselves involved in is not this heroic, epic thing. It's, it's really ordinary. It's washing feet in obscurity. Um, Donald Whitney says this, uh, what if serving typically looked as unspectacular as the practical needs it seeks to meet. Right? Is that how we view it? Like it's just, it's really unspectacular. There's a lot of practical needs that we're trying to meet in this world, in the church, in our families. And what if that's really the kind of service that Jesus is calling us to? What, what if this is what it looks like? See, if that's the essence of the service that God calls us to and said, hey, here's a discipline we need to have as part of our lives. And I think we understand why it's a discipline. Because it's, it's not this glorious one moment, it's, it's day after day, moment by moment, hour by hour, that I am called to serve, as we'll see in a moment, rather than be served. Donald Whitney, let me quote him one more time, he says this, two of the deadliest of our sins, sloth and pride, loathe serving. They paint glazes on our eyes and put chains on our hands and feet so that we don't serve as we know we should or even as we want. If we don't discipline ourselves to serve for the sake of Christ and his kingdom and for the purpose of godliness, we'll serve only occasionally or when it's convenient or self-serving. That's what it'll be limited to. We won't go any further than that. Now, let me connect some dots because we're in this series on the spiritual disciplines right here at the beginning of the, of the year. And, and, and what are we doing, right? We've seen lots of things so far. We've seen we need to read our Bibles and pray, right? We need to worship and evangelize, all these things. And I want you to see that these are not just isolated things that we do. These things flow into and out of, back and forth, right? It's prayer that, it's, it's, it's prayer that leads to Bible reading and worship and, and and Bible reading leads me to worship and evangelism. And all these things, they, they interplay with one another, right? I pray, I, I read my Bible, and that leads me to pray through my Bible and meditate on Scripture. And it leads me to worship the God that I'm reading about in my Bible. And if I'm really worshiping, then I'm going to evangelize, right? Remember what Brian said last week? I love this. Like, evangelism is simply speaking about something that you worship, 
Like something that brings you great joy. We can't help it. In other words, you can't help not evangelizing about things that you worship. You just can't. No one can. In fact, it would frustrate you not to be able to talk about something that you so enjoy and so love. Now, do we love God like that? Right? I mean, this is, this is something that like I feel the frustration. If there's an experience that I've had, a movie I've seen, something I've done, right? If somebody said, you can never talk about that, how would you feel? You'd feel incredibly frustrated. C.S. Lewis has this famous quote. Maybe some of you have heard this. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. Do you resonate with that? I got to tell somebody, and that's really the great enjoyment. It completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it's expressed. That's so good. Okay, so that leads us there, leads us to evangelism. So now we talk about it, but now I want to suggest to you all those things lead us to serve because what happens is that the worship and the Bible and all these things that we say we are as Christians, it's outworking is is serving. It's sort of this public proclamation that I belong to God, not just in word, but in deed. Remember we said all the way back in the beginning, the spiritual disciplines are not attitudes. The spiritual disciplines are not spiritual gifts. The spiritual disciplines are things that we are actually called to do, and certainly none more real than serving. That serving ought to characterize who we are as the people of God. In fact, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 says that the reason we were saved, we were, we were, we were cleansed, he says, from, from dead works to serve the living God. He says, literally, the purpose for your salvation is service, to serve God. So, okay, so why don't we? Why don't we serve? Why is it true of, of uh, you know, our church family like it is of most church families, that 20% of the people do 80% of the serving, 20% of the people do 80% of the giving, right? Well, why don't we? Um, well, let me, let me suggest maybe, maybe for some of you, it's, it's just I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know I was supposed to. So we'll talk about that today, right? Maybe you're, maybe you're in this place of ignorance. I just want to suggest to you that, that, that every Christian should be serving in some capacity. Certainly within the church, as we're going to see, God's given us gifts for one another in your family, in your community, in your neighborhood. Yes, all those things. But it is a contradiction in terms to say, I'm a Christian, but I don't serve. We are simply not reflecting who God made us to be if we're Christian in name only, but we're not serving. Okay, so let, but, but, but okay, you can know that, um, but motivations matter when it comes to, to us serving God, right? We want to serve God, but we want to serve God from the right motive. So let's talk about motives for a moment, okay? And I, I want to I just talk about the why of, of serving, okay? Why should you serve? And I really want to talk here about what's the internal motivation that ought to get you there, all right? And so let's start at the very basic. Number one, you serve because you want to obey God. Now, that, that's really simple, right? I just simply, I flat out want to be obedient to God. Do you know that this is part of your obedience to God? From Old Testament to New Testament, the people of God are called again and again and again to serve, to serve, serve one another, to serve God, 
right, to, to lay down our lives. That's what we're called to. Let me show you this. Here's just a sampling. All the way back in Exodus, you shall serve the Lord your God, Deuteronomy. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And you shall serve him and hold fast to him, uh, uh, Joshua 24. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Psalm chapter 2, serve the Lord with fear and rejoicing, with trembling. Romans, now New Testament, I appeal to you. I just paraphrase this. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 1 Peter 4, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You see this? It's not subtle. It's not, I wonder if God wants us to do this. There it is. It's a command. Now listen. Do you want to obey God? Every Christian, if you are really a Christian, is going to say yes, like a resounding yes. Man, that's, God is everything. Through Christ is everything, right? He's the sun around which I orbit. I I want to be obedient to Christ. And so one of the calls is, okay, to be obedient is serving. And I think one of the things God wants to guard, guard against is I don't think the call to serve is this begrudging submission to God's will, right? I, 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 no, I, I think it's a, it's a look and saying, man, look what God has done, and, and, and I want to serve out of joy, as you'll see here in a moment. Uh, some of you know the, the, the name um, John Newton, who was the writer, who was a slave trader, who was saved, radically saved, became a pastor, actually, and and, uh, and wrote Amazing Grace, um, in part because of what God had done for him. But he wrote this one time. He said this, if two angels were to receive at the same moment a commission from God, one to go down and rule earth's grandest empire, the other to go and sweep the streets of its lowest village, it would be a matter of entire indifference to each which service fell to his lot. The post of ruler or the post of scavenger. For the joy of the angels lies only in obedience to God's will. That's good. That's a really good reminder. They are just there. Man, we don't care. Assign us what you want to assign us. I'll do whatever you want me to do. My joy is in obeying you. So I think ultimately, the heart of a Christian says, this is what I want. I, I realize our hearts are out of alignment sometimes, but we, we ought to be people who say, I want to obey God no matter. And part of obedience is serving. Okay? That's the first thing. Number two, because we're grateful for our salvation, right? Really, now we're starting to get like, okay, there's this obedience part, but now we're getting to this like internal motivation of like, God, I'm so grateful for what you've done. And so service is the overflow of that. I love this. All the way back, this is such a great, uh, such a great word for us. In 1 uh, Samuel 12, verse 24, Samuel says this, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. You see that? What's the motivation for serving God with all your heart? It is looking and considering all that God has done for us. Hearts so full, right? So full of worship, so full of the understanding of what God's done that we can say with Paul that that offering our lives as a living sacrifice is just reasonable. Other translations say rational. 
it just makes sense. It's not some, wow, look at me. I am, I am serving God. I'm doing this thing. No, it's like Paul just says, because of he, what he's done for you, like this is, this is no more than a reasonable thing in your response. Do you ever stop and remember what life was like before you knew Jesus? Have you over the last week, month, I don't know, stopped to consider where would you be? Where would you be, Christian, if it weren't for Jesus? You'd be lost. Right? I mean, think about who you were. The Bible says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Just just quoted part of this before this morning, right? That, that you, were, you were alienated from God. You were without hope, without God in this present world. That's who you were. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love for us, he rescued us. See, I don't, I don't. Um, I don't serve God to be rescued. I serve because I've been rescued. Because the greatest thing that God could, do you know this, Christian? The greatest thing in the world that God could do for you is save you? What if God came to you today and said, I will every day deposit a million dollars in your bank account every single day. You get it for the rest of your life guaranteed, but you don't get heaven. Is that a good exchange? Christian, the answer is no, right? Because we know what he's done for us. He saved us for an eternity. What does what a profit of man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Right there, there's nothing God could do better for you than redeeming you and giving you a spirit and giving you a hope and giving you a future and all of these things. You now have heaven and it's secure all because of what God has done for you. That's where service comes from. See, see, Look, the point of this sermon is not to put everybody in a guilt trip, put your arm behind your back, figure it's thinking, and you cry uncle and say, okay, 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 I'll serve. No, no. Truly, the psalmist says it best, Psalm 100 verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. And you know what make you serve the Lord with gladness? When you know what he's done for you. When you are so aware, <laughs> Right? Some of you became Christians later in life, and it is a vivid memory for you to go, I know what I was. Some of us, by God's grace, I sure hope this is true for Adonis, is they become Christians very early in life. But you know what can happen to people? Like, this is my, this is my testimony. I was saved, side of my parents' couch, I was four years old. I, I mean, I remember, I remember what it was like. But then you sort of get used to it, and yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian, where would I have been? Would I have been utterly apathetic to God? Would I, be, would I be an addict? I don't know. All I can say is like, it's the greatest thing God could have ever done for me to reach down out of his great mercy and save me. This is where it comes from, right? This is the motivation. But let me give you one last thing, real motivation. Because we want to imitate Christ. Really, isn't this it? So that's why I have you in Mark chapter 10. So, so go back there, open your Bibles with me, and I want to look at this briefly with you and show you this. Like, look, look what's happening here. Now, let me give you a little bit of context to Mark chapter 10. In fact, we're going to back up to verse 35, and I want to read this to you. But here's what's just happened. Jesus has literally just uh, finished 
telling his inner circle disciples, I'm going to die. This is the third time I've told you guys, and I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be persecuted and spit on and flogged and ultimately killed. Okay, now, you've just heard that news. What questions come to mind for Jesus? What, what are you thinking, and where does your mind go? Let me show you where the disciples went. Look at verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now look, if a friend of mine was like, you know, whatever, I, I, I'm going to die. Okay, well, before you do that, I, I need something from you, right? You, you'd think there'd be more consolation more can we pray for, whatever, right? But they say, hey, do for us whatever we want you to do. Verse 36, and he says to them, what do you want? And they said to him, verse 37, grant us to sit one on your right, one on your left, in your glory. God, we want positions. Jesus, give us positions of power and influence. We, we recognize you're the Messiah. We, we see this, but boy, this is awesome. Now put one on your right, one on your left. We don't really care who. All we want is to sit right up there with you. It's all about their glory. And Jesus uh, says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, be baptized with the baptism I, I, with the, which I'm about? He's talking about his death. In other words, saying, guys, I'm going to volunteer for this. I, I'm actually, I came to earth for this purpose, and, and I'm going to willingly offer up my life as a sacrifice. That's the drink. That's my baptism. Immersed in blood, if you will. Okay, and he says, are you able to do that? And look at their response. Yeah, why not? Sure, Jesus, we could do that. And Jesus says, well, the cup that I drink, you will drink. Won't do it voluntarily. The baptism with which I'm baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand is not mine to grant. It's for those whom it has been prepared. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. You know what's happening there? You guys beat us to the punch because we wanted to ask the same question. We, we wanted these positions of power. I mean, all they're doing is saying, James and John spoke out loud what's in all of our hearts. We want to be glorious. And Jesus says, calls to, called them to him and said to them, verse 42, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise you might translate that dominion, domineering leadership over them. Now, let's pause there for a moment. Isn't that the way that our hearts go? I'm, I'm finally in a position of power where, where I can enforce my will upon others and they have to do what I say now because I have authority, right? Who are the Gentiles? Just the world outside of, outside of Israel, right? It's just the rest of the world. This is how they operate. And he's saying, guys, this is how you operate. But, verse 43, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. I am, I'm bringing to you an upside-down world. And the ethics of this world are totally different than the ethics of the culture. And so he says, look, guys, for the, even the Son of Man, speaking of himself, came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now let me talk about that for a second. It's interesting that Jesus didn't say, 
even the Son of Man came to serve, and uh, not to be served, but to serve. He didn't say, and to die. He said to give his life. Now, now um, do you understand that Jesus' life is just as important as Jesus' death? That if Jesus did not live the perfect life, he could never die the perfect death. He could not, he could not qualify, if you will, for, to pay for our sins. And it's interesting that Jesus says life and not death because I think what he means there is that literally my life, right, he, he was king of heaven, right? High king of heaven. And he comes and he submits, comes the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And he emptied himself of all that privilege. And he comes and he serves, washes feet every single day. Listen, I told you at the beginning, most of us like to think I'd be the one that jumps out in front of the bullet in the glorious exit from this world of serving to the point of sacrifice. Great. Would you cash in your life every moment of every day, one quarter, one dollar at a time? Every single day. Less of me, less of me, less of me, less of me. I think that's what Jesus means by saying, I gave my life as a ransom. Guys, this is what you should, you should be following my example. Look, so, 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 so what do we do? We look to Jesus and we go, okay, here's our big brother. And ultimately what motivates us is go, that's our hero. I want to be like my hero. I want to be like my big brother. And how do, are we like him? Remember, this is about things we do. And we look at him and say, okay, practicing the Christian life, training in godliness, I look to Jesus and go, what did he do? I want to do those things. He read his Bible. I'll read my Bible. He prayed. I'll pray. He worshiped. I'll worship. He, he went out to seek and save the lost. I'll do the same. And he served. And over and over and over again, you're going to see in the gospels. And when Paul begins to think back on, on what Jesus did, he's going to talk about serving. See, which is, which is why in our imitation, you understand, in the ancient uh, Near Eastern, in the ancient Greco-Roman world, to be called a Christian was kind of a pejorative term because all it means is little Jesus. Now think about that. They looked at these people who were part of the way and said, oh, they're just a bunch of little Jesuses running around. Wouldn't that be glorious? If there were a bunch of little Christs imitating him, imitating our big brother. See, th listen, that's why I said this is the motivation for serving. And the Bible, especially the New Testament, is going to do this over and over again. I mean, you know, surely back in the Old Testament, you had Samuel saying, man, look, serve the Lord because look at all the great things he's done for you. And that, that gets expressed then in the New Testament through Jesus and his, his sacrificial living and his sacrificial death. Okay, now, now imitate him. When Paul wants to motivate sacrificial giving, we'll see in a couple weeks, what does he do? He talks about the sacrificial giving of Jesus. When he wants to promote and say, I, I need you to serve, he says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God found in Christ is what he's talking about for you to serve to give up your lives as living sacrifices. See, when we know the gospel, when we know what Jesus has done for us, man, it's going to affect everything. When we know the gospel, it'll ser we'll, we'll serve. 
We will be people who serve. Okay, now, that's the why. Let's talk about briefly about the how. How can you serve? And listen, I, 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 I give you that question, but I think, I think that question could be thought of, conceived of as, as asking a few things, all right? So let me, let me kind of walk through what that question, some of, the, some of the ways we could take that question. For example, we might be saying, how in the world can I serve? Right, in other words, I don't know that I feel like I've got any abilities. I don't know that I feel like I've got the power. I feel weak, whatever it is, okay? How do I do this? And I just want to point you to Scripture, and I read part of it in the beginning here, but, but, but listen to what First Peter says, what Peter says in First Peter 4, now verses 10 and 11. He says, as each has received a gift, used to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Stop there for a moment. So here's what you just heard, and you're going to see it in Ephesians 4 and Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. When, when Jesus saved you, He gave you gifts. It wasn't just, I forgive you. No, I'm going to pour out upon you a gift and or gifts, plural. I'm going I'm to give you things. And now, now here's, here's, here's Peter saying, now, be a good steward of that gift. Don't bury it. Don't keep it to yourself, right? You use that gift. Paul's going to say in Ephesians chapter 4, right? We've each been given a measure of God's grace. We've been given these, these various gifts for the building up of the body for one another, right? Use it. Don't sort away. Do you know how bizarre it would be? Like, what if you say, okay, well, Chris, you've got the gift of teaching. All right, whatever. So suppose I was like, well, I'm going to keep it to myself. Well, that would just be weird. You know, go in a closet and preach, right? No, like I'm supposed to. My gifts are for you, your gifts are for me, for each other, for, for all of us, right? And so he's saying we're, we're stewards of God's varied gifts, but then look what he says, whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Uh, ultimately, we don't serve because we feel strong enough. We serve because we're gifted and God supplies the strength. That's just how it works. Okay, so I'm gonna just tell you I don't think I'm the paradigm of this, but I want you to know how this plays out in my life. Um, if you ever ask me, hey, are you afraid to stand up in front of people? Well, no, not per se, right? I'm not, I'm not afraid to speak in front of people. Okay, but that's not the whole story. The fact of the matter is, and this is, this is, I, I, this is the honest truth, I have never, ever felt adequate to stand up here. I have never stood on that front row and gone like, let me at them. Here I go, man. Ever. Now, that might be a, a personality flaw of mine. But there is a real, real sense of, I feel incredibly weak. And ask Michelle. She'll come, you know, if she, she how'd you feel like it went today? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I hope the Lord did something kind of thing, right? Uh, uh, there, there, there's, there's really genuinely, I sit on that front row every week that I'm preaching and just plead with God, please, Lord. I really don't feel up to this, but you, if this is something you've gifted me to do, I'm gonna go up there and do that, and I pray you'd bless it, and I pray you'd breathe on it. Listen, that applies to your gift. That applies to God's given you all kinds of various gifts to use for his glory, even when you feel weak. God says, I'll use it, right? That's exactly, Paul says, when I'm weak, I'm strong. 
This is how the power of God, he says, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives with me, in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's Paul saying, look, ultimately it's not about Paul. It's not about you. It's about the power of God in you. Okay, so that's, that's kind of the, the, the first how in the world uh, can I serve? But there's another way I think we can say, how can I serve? And it's a little bit like the emphasis on the can, and that is like, like what are the different ways of serving that would be right or wrong? What are, what are the things that should characterize it or not characterize my serving? So let me give you a couple of those. Number one, our serving should be consistent, not just convenient, right? In fact, I want you to see these as sort of pitted against each other. Consistency is the essence of any discipline, spiritual or otherwise. If, if your discipline is mere convenience, you will not be disciplined at whatever you're seeking to be disciplined at, right? Working out, not going to happen if you're not consistent. Even if it's inconvenient, that's the nature of a discipline. I do it whether it's convenient or not. I'm consistent in it, and if I'm not, I'll never grow in that thing I'm seeking to be disciplined in. You follow? So, so look, I mean, what, what, if, what if you only served your spouse when it was convenient? <laughs> well, you probably have a terrible marriage, right? What if you only work hard uh, at work when it's convenient? You're probably going to be fired. What, what if we just served... Um, when we felt like and it was convenient. Well, um, I'll say it this way. This church will never be what God intends it to be because there's a whole lot of gifts sitting on the sidelines that God might want to use for His glory. Consistency matters. Charles Spurgeon said, we want laborers, not loiterers. That's good. We need men on fire and I beseech you, ask God to send them. The harvest can never be reaped by men who will not labor. Labor. There's the dead-eyed honesty. Like, like here it is. Like this is what it is. It's hard work. It means you're consistent. It means you don't just, you don't just make commitments. You keep commitments. Anybody, to quote Jerry Seinfeld, anybody can make commitments, right? It's the taking. It's the, it's the committing and saying, I'll, 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 I'll actually keep them that matters. Will you keep the commitments you make. We've got to be consistent in that. Number two is giving versus receiving. The attitude, the thing that should characterize my, my serving, right, is, is or not, is, is a, an attitude of either giving or receiving, right? Now, look, uh, I know that if you come to Foothill Church, you can sit and you can receive, and there's going to be people who stand up here and sing and teach you, right? You can send your kids into our kids program and there will be, we will have our kids program help come alongside and disciple your children. While you're in here, you're being served with your kids in another room. You can go to the coffee station. Somebody's going to serve you, right? At the end of the service, somebody's going to, you know, pass by the Lord's Supper serving you. And that's good. And that's right. And you should. There are places you definitely should receive. Here's my question. Is that all you ever do? Is it all receiving and no giving? Do you just inhale, 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 and never exhale? You know what happens if you inhale? Just hold your breath long enough and you'll faint, Right? There's a lot of you who are uh, 
about to be spiritually unconscious because you inhale, 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 and never exhale through service, right? Serving. That God has called us not to just people, be people who take it, take it, take it, but never give, 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 right? There is this give and take that we're supposed to have, right? So many of you are happy to receive the service of another, but you, you won't obey the plain command to serve one another, to outdo one another in showing honor. We are called, yes, to receive, but to give. More blessed to give than to receive, right? Are you giving? Are you giving? And I mean giving of yourself in a faithful way. It says, man, I'm, I'm, I want to I be somebody who gives more than I receive. Now, the last part is, I think, the practical question. How can I serve? Just simply, hey, what are the opportunities? Well, let me just say, I don't know what the opportunities are at your home. I know there are a bunch of them. I don't know what the opportunities are at your work or your, or your, your neighborhood or whatever, but there are opportunities for service that abound. We, we must be people who don't just go, hey, I serve, but like I'm a servant, right? I'm somebody who that's what characterizes me everywhere I go. But how about it, church? Well, let me just say, <laughs> Uh, there's literally dozens. There's the tech. There's up here uh, in, on the worship team. There's, there's kids. There's youth, right? There's guys in the parking lot and gals in the parking lot. There's people serving coffee. There's people preparing communion. There's ushers serving. I mean, there's lots and lots and lots of things for you to do. You can serve. You don't have to wait until some serving season to come along where, okay, it's a formal thing at Foothill Church. You can just say, man, Hey, don't wait. It's like, it's like people who say, you know, it's, it's November. I'm going to start a new resolution on January 1. Why? What's the magic? There's no magic in that date. There's no magic in you waiting for some formal opportunity. You're just obedient. You just say, hey, what needs to be done? I'll do it. At the end of the service, Ike or somebody's probably going to say, hey, help our setup team. Let's stack these chairs into stacks of 13, okay? Like, you could do that, right? I can pick up a chair. Now, look at let me, let, me, let me ask you to guard yourself against something. Some of you will think of this and go, okay, I'll serve, right, uh, the smallest amount possible to, to get over this hurdle in my conscience, right? Okay, I hear you. I stacked a chair. Did you like that, God? Right? Did you see what I just did for you? Our attitude should not be, how little can we do to barely get by? Here's what our attitude should be. I will serve as much as I can without neglecting other God-given duties. You have a family. Yep. You have a job. Absolutely. I don't know anybody that literally has the normal God-given duties who cannot serve in some capacity. That should be our attitude. Lord, I want to serve as much as I can without neglecting these other things that you've asked me to care for. I don't want to neglect my family. I don't want to neglect my job. I want to be good at all these things you've called me to do, but, but I can serve. That ought to be our attitude, right? We ought to have the kind of attitude that answers this, right? Wanted. Christians willing to offer their lives as a sacrificial offering to God and view it as little more than their reasonable sacrifice to the God who saved them from eternal death.
Let's pray. Father, uh, we love you and um, thank you. you. You have served us to the uttermost. You sent Jesus. He condescended to walk among us. And now you've asked us to have this mind which is ours if we're followers of Jesus in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Lord, I pray that would be the attitude, the mindset of all of us who name the name of Jesus and say, man, we're followers of Jesus. We would be followers, not just in word, not just in what we do in private, but God, as we go public and say, man, we're going to serve. We're going to be servants for the cause of Christ to what he saved us. And Father, I, I, I pray for anybody that's here today that perhaps they walk through these doors and they realize they are separated from God. They realize they are in sin. They realize they they've, uh, have reached the end of themselves and try as they might. They've tried everything else. They, they find themselves here on this Sunday morning longing to be in relationship, calling out to you, God, if that's somebody in this room right now, I just pray that in this moment would be a day where they would turn from their sin, even the, even the sin of believing they can somehow build their resume to make themselves impressive to you. God, they would turn from that. They'd turn from that sin of pride and they'd turn in faith to Jesus, looking to him, the author, the finisher of our faith, and saying it's only because of his sacrifice and what he's done for me and the way that he served me that I can be reconciled to God. And today they'd put their faith in Jesus, Lord. Let it be so, we pray. We love you, we thank you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.